Buongiorno. Guten Tag. Let's progress in English. Okay, let's try that for a change. I might not have much more success. I don't know how good a grasp of English I've got. From a technical point of view, probably not great. Marginal. Yeah. Alright, um, you've got a bit of paper in your hand. Yes, I have. On this piece of paper, I have um, the results of our inquiries from issues left over from our last frame to podcast territory. And uh, I'll, I'll jump straight in, really. First of all, the thing where people um, very easily get affected by sunlight, very easily sunburned, etc., is called photosensitivity. Possibly we could have worked that out ourselves. I think you did, didn't you? You I said think sensitive. I, I said sensitive and something to do with it. It'll be photo. It's not, it's not sensitive to glamour photography. No, it's not like where someone takes a photo and you think it's going to steal your soul, that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's just going to burn you. Peter Shilton's height. Well, there is some slight um, argle-bargle about this. I've never used that word before. I don't think it's a word. It is. is. It's, Ken it, Brockman uses it. It must be. I think it's he's, two words. It's an argle-bargle and foo-for-all. But yeah, we suspect he's six foot-ish. Some records say he was six foot, and some say he was six foot one. So six foot and a half, probably, very measuring devices. That's, that's two inches added by... Dad pulling legs. Yes, and of course the uh, grow bags on the feet. One on each massive clodhopper to walk around <laughs> like, a, like a green man clown. Oh, of course the difference, yep, yeah, between an allergy and a disease. An allergy is an abnormal reaction or sensitivity or adverse reaction sensitivity to a uh, given substance. So that to me says that it has to be a physical thing that makes your body react in a certain way. And a disease is a disorder of structure or function found in the human or animal or plant form, especially one that produces symptoms. So there you go. Just going back to Peter Shilton. Yeah. He's the only footballer ever to have Cuban heels adapted with studs. <laughs> is that serious? No. Cuban heels, they're the gigantic ones, aren't they? Big, big heels. My mate's dad, he's six foot four. And he used to wear Cuban heels in the 70s, so he would go out around town being about seven foot tall. That's mental. I'd imagine someone just pushed him over. I quite like some Cuban heels, but I'm only five foot nine, so that, that's probably all right. I don't do you reckon you can get away with Cuban heels now, anyway, as a man. I think Gary Barlow wears them. Do you reckon? You can form your own opinion. I think he wears a Cuban stomach. <laughs> And unfortunately, we have got Soldiers of Hell podcast first. What's that? We've been unable to resolve an issue. Really? Yeah. You know, I mentioned there was a sport. Yeah, I sort of remembered a vague memory of it from a children's encyclopedia or something. There was a massive ball in the sea, and they have two teams of blokes. Oh, and yeah. There's a rope around it, and they have to try and submerge one half of it under the water. I can't find any confirmation that it exists. You've made it up. I haven't made it up. It was in in a page of obscure sports in this encyclopedia, but I can't find the name of it. I can't even find a picture of it. I've Googled it, Wikipedia'd it, YouTubed it, Flickered it, everything, everything you can find. Have you still got the encyclopedia, though? It might be in the loft of my mum's ass, so I can double-check it and maybe update on the blog. Okay. So some hell on MySpace. And, of course, the last thing is there was a film that you thought you saw, well, a film you knew you saw. I definitely when saw When you it. were a, a, a wee kitty that had River Phoenix and Ethan the Hawk in it, and you thought it was called The Explorers. Well, I'd like to say you're wrong. It was called Explorers. <laughs> and 50% inaccurate there. Well, if, <laughs> if you take it per letter, it's probably something like 30% inaccurate. And I've got... 
Ben Crandall, an alien-obsessed kid, dreams one night of a circuit board. Drawing out the circuit board, he and his friends, Wolfgang and Darren, (laughs) (laughs) set it up and discover they have been given the basis for a starship. Not, of course, they've been given the basis to go and form Starship. (laughs) But to me, that sounds like the sort of thing... There was a lot of those sort of films around when I was young. You don't seem to get them anymore, do you? Flight of the Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. The Goonies, to an extent. I'm I'm sure there's probably more. Oh, what was the other one? Short Circuit probably goes like... What was the other one? I never saw it, but I always imagined it looked like a burger that was flying around. Was it Batteries Not Included? Yeah. (laughs) All those sort of films. But they're sort of kids' adventure films. They are. But do you get them anymore? I can't... The nearest you probably get now is Spy Kids. Yeah. And what was the other one that came out a couple of years ago? Lava Boy. Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Lava Boy, yeah. But to be honest, when they were pitching Shark Boy and Lava Girl, that sounds like a pretty poor concept. But having read the summary of... Explorers is an equally poor concept. It's a good film, as far as I remember. What was that other one? The Boy Who Could Fly. I never saw that. I saw it on TV about two months ago. I think I caught the end of it, and it was about this boy. can't remember how it pans out. Didn't he just use that as a reason to uh, watch girls getting changed in their bedrooms? I know I would. I'm sure that's what happened. I'd be surprised if it didn't. Everything in those sort of films revolved around. It was always a geeky kid who looked like he was about eight, and he ended up going after and potentially getting an attractive girl who looked like she was about 13, 14. Yeah. And to me, that's all. You've got problems straight away with that. Speaking of looking at girls uh, getting changed, have you seen The Girl Next Door with Alicia Cuthbert? Is that the one where she's a porn star? Yeah. I've not seen it, but I I don't know whether it looks funny or whether it's just, look, we've got Alicia Cuthbert being a porn star. Well... It's not a very good film, really. I didn't imagine it would be. No. But I was just more thinking of, when they put those scenes in films yeah. and TV shows, it happens a lot, doesn't it? Scenes where adolescent boy looks at girl getting changed through window or whatever, and then they're always shocked and they suddenly turn around and shut the curtain. If that was reality, if you're getting changed with the curtains open, you're inviting someone to watch you, aren't you? One would assume that would be the case, yes. So then don't be surprised that they are. Especially if it's at night time and you've got your light on and the curtains open. Yeah. That's just an invitation for what can only be described as house dogging. Anyway, the flight of the navigator and the explorers. No, explorers. Yes, I'd, uh, I'd like you to keep that in mind. Yeah, it kind of makes me think they're almost like children's B-movies to me. Almost in their sort of throwaway aspect of churned out and, you know, not particularly a lot of thought go into it. It's more of a concept. For me, it it raises the question of what actually a B-movie really is, the definition of a B-movie. I think that's something that's changed throughout the years. But sort of in the modern day, you can sort of attribute it to being something that has sci-fi concepts that aren't particularly thought out very well. Yeah, I mean, to my mind, a B-movie would be possibly made for TV, possibly straight to video, but almost certainly it would have a sci-fi aspect to it, or possibly fantasy. Or horror. Yeah, or horror. The film um, Cobra, everything always escapes from a science lab, doesn't it? A massive Cobra escapes from a science lab, 
no explanation as to why they're breeding a giant cobra in the first place or where they're keeping it because it looks to me just like a normal science lab. And that's it. That's all the concept they need. That's it. Green light it. We're making this film with the terrifying consequences. I think one of the definitions of a B-movie nowadays is badly thought about sequels. Now, is this similar to something we've touched upon before of lazy sequels or sequels where it's increasingly getting worse? Or is it just you take a quality film and the sequel is just a shoddy rip-off? Shoddy rip-off. So we've talked about, back in, I think it was our very first podcast, we talked about nudity in DVD sequels. Yep. And I suppose nudity is one of those things that are liberally thrown into B-movies. So in some ways there's there's a link there. But... Lazy sequels, I mean in terms of things like Rocky Six. Yeah, the act, it's, it's an actor has done it to revive their flagging fortunes rather than the series warrants a sequel. You know that they're making a Rambo 4? I've heard such a thing, yes. I've seen a trailer, an early trailer, right, where Rambo punches a guy's <laughs> head off. Right off his head. Right off his Clean shoulders. Clean off his shoulders. Wow, almost like it was a magnet. Yeah. The most powerful fist in the world. You see that again. Extreme violence. The most powerful with... tash in the world. <laughs> but unrealistic violence is also a hallmark of B-movies, isn't it? In a genuine film, you would never get, unless it was a comedy or something like that, you would never get a man being able to punch someone's head clean off. No, would their body would fall over before. From the force, wouldn't they? And the head would go with it rather than the, the head. The only way you could do it is if someone, if you tied someone to a pole to ensure that their body was completely rigid apart from the head that was movable. Yeah. And then swung like a crane at it. Yeah. I don't think they'd be enough force. But that is a hallmark <laughs> of uh, B movies, isn't it? I want some, let's get some physicists in. How much pounds per square cheek does it need to knock someone's head off their shoulders? <laughs> I'm not going to actually set up some kind of scientific <laughs> experiment. Andy, you go stand over there. I'll line you up with uh, my fist. I don't think I'm strong enough. Also, I don't think we'd get any volunteers or legitimate scientists to monitor it. Plus, you have to incorporate head-to-shoulder-to-neck ratio as well. Yeah, a bloke with a thicker neck, it would take more force to knock off than a weedy little chicken. Exactly. If you knocked someone's head clean off, would their body then run round? Okay, here's a question. What's a lazy sequel to a B movie? Is that a C movie? I don't know. I class Tremors as a B movie. Uh, albeit a B movie that's crossed over into the mainstream. It has a well-known actor in it. Yep. But it's still of that ilk. It's kind of... There's not an awful... There's not really any reason for there to be massive worms tunneling. No, they're suddenly just there one day. Yeah. And even the throwaway explanation of oh, they've been able to live in isolation in this valley because of these things. And it's like, no, well, the people in this community have obviously lived here for a while and they've never had any problems with giant worms. There's three sequels to Tremors. I knew of two sequels. There's Tremors. Yeah. Tremors 2 has got just the gun nut bloke in. Yeah. And Tremors 3 has got the chisel-jawed, bristly man who's Kevin Bacon's partner in it. Yeah. Tremors 4 is actually a prequel set in the 1800s. Really? I want to see that. (laughs) You put anything in the 1800s and it's already got my attention, really. I would say Tremors was originally a B-movie, because at the time, 
It's been movie. Because <laughs> at the time, <laughs> Kevin Bacon was probably unknown, so it probably had a mainly unknown cast. And that is possibly a, a prerequisite for a B-movie. Yeah. Although you do get mainstream films where the cast is unknown, it's still got that studio backing that pushes it into cinemas. It's become an A-movie. I suppose so. Through cult status and increased circulation. But yeah, I'll definitely say that the the, uh, the sequels are B-movie or less. When it gets to the point where you don't even know about the sequel, then I'd say, yeah, possibly even a C-movie. I don't like it when a, when a sequel... It's actually a prequel, but it gives it a sequel title. So Tremors 4 is set before Tremors. Would you rather it was called Tremors The Beginning? Something like that. But you don't like colon sequel titles. We've established that before. I don't mind them. That's when there's double colons. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Okay, yeah, I'll accept that. Speaking of sequels, what's this need for everything to be a trilogy nowadays? Um, example. Spider-Man. Yep. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. Are you you one of the people that will still call it Pirates of the Caribbean, or will you just call it Pirates now? Because Pirates is a film of its own, isn't it? Yeah. The 80s. Yeah. Shrek 3. um, Although I've heard they're making a fourth, so that doesn't count. I've heard that they've already greenlit a fourth and fifth, and a Puss in Boots spin-off film called Puss in Boots... Story of an ogre killer or something. I haven't even seen Shrek 2. Haven't you? No. Better than the first. Is it? Yeah. It might, yeah. I would have to say I thought it was better than the first. I mean, Shrek is a bad example, but with, with a lot of things, it's, with blockbusters, they have, they have a first film, they write it as a standalone film, and then suddenly, they think, oh, this has gone big, so let's make it into a trilogy now. So the second film is a bit darker and, is definitely a setup for a final act, which is the third film. Yeah. But more often than not, what happens is the third film just is an unsatisfactory conclusion and has far too many plot points in there that kind of need have to, to be tied, tied up. up. Or something is started as a trilogy right from the start, and you can tell that the first film is a setup film. I watched the first Fantastic Four film. It was solely a setup film, and you could tell that that's what it had in mind. You knew they do it, did it thinking, oh, X-Men did quite well, but that's coming to an end, so we need something to replace it. This will be a good follow-up franchise. Although they are making spin-offs to the X-Men, aren't they? They're, they're making a Wolverine on his own film. And a Magneto on his own film. I can't see a Magneto on his own Is Before or after? Young. A young Magneto. That would be better than an old Magneto, just sitting down playing chess, wishing he could still move the metal. I thought a young Magneto was a good guy, though, wasn't he? I don't know if he was a good guy as such, but I think you could, it's easier to sympathise with him. I don't know enough about the character. I know he was a victim of the Holocaust. And Wolverine, he's just a bit moody. Yeah. How can you make everything you want to know about Wolverine surely would come after the third X-Men film? Because beforehand, you know he doesn't know anything about his past anyway. Maybe it's maybe it is his past though that you're watching. So an explanatory I don't, I don't know whether it's a prequel or not. Uh, one thing I do know is in X-Men 2, they made it very much about Wolverine trying to find out about his past. In the third film, they kind of ignored that that had ever happened. I think the way they sort of get around that is that at the end, doesn't the, the, the general who's trying to kill them all, he tells Wolverine, if you come with me inside with me and help me escape, I'll tell you everything you want to know about your past. And Wolverine sort of says, I'd, I'd rather not know. 
because he knows he's a good bloke now and he might find out some stuff he doesn't like. So he just kills the bloke and forgets about it. Too neat. It is a little bit too neat from my point of view. And that's my point about trilogies, I think. Unnecessary trilogies. And is it increasingly the case that the first one is a standalone film, but they write the second two as a two-parter? A lot of trilogies, I think, are trying to follow that Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger ending. Yeah. And they just end up as a poor Empire Strikes Back cliffhanger ending. Yeah. Such as Pirates of the Caribbean 2, Matrix 2. Shrek 2 is quite satisfactory, actually. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll put that on the positive side of things. Like, I think since Shrek, you can't go a few weeks without a CGI kids film with jokes for the grown-ups thrown in as well. No, there's definitely a Pirates film that I've seen that has a, a logo and font that's almost identical to Pirates of the Caribbean, but isn't Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Mediterranean. I hate it as well when video shops or, you know, shops that sell videos try and convince the general public that what they're selling is something that it's not. Such as when Casino Royale with Daniel Craig came out in the cinema. Yep. They put Casino Royale with David Niven on the shelves, hoping some strange old fool would walk in there and go, wow, it's on video already, I'll buy that. I've never seen that version. I imagine it's laughable. Is it meant to be laughable? It's meant to be a comedy. Okay, that's fine. Hasn't it had the most directors of one film ever? Do you mean there's been numerous versions of it, or the one film got through a few directors? I think that one film had six directors. That's amazing. Especially for a film with that... I imagine, at that time, films took a few weeks to make. Maybe a few months. They didn't have the huge pre- and post-production things that they have now. So there must have been some problem. I think there were some directors that walked out, and I think there were some that were sacked. Do you think maybe David Niven challenged them all to duels to prove their worth? Can you grow a spivvy tash like me? No? Get out. <laughs> David Niven, didn't he present an Oscar once? And as he was presenting it, someone streaked past him from behind and he had a typical David Niven, like, oh, must be rather warm, sort of reaction. I don't know. That's probably not exactly what he said. I paraphrase something I don't know he said for definite. Can we ledger those think... two items? How many directors did the original Casino Royale have? Yep. Casino Royale directors. And what was the other one? David Niven's Streak Reaction. That's a great name. For, that's a brilliant name for a band. <laughs> for me, that's one film I don't actually mind having a colon in the title. <laughs> David Niven Streak Reaction. Yeah, I need to start researching how to raise people from the dead to get that made. So I think that's quite a few things for the ledger for next time then. Will Andy and Spence discover the answers? How many people did direct Casino Royale in the 60s? And what was David Niven's street reaction? Download next month's podcast to find out.